On this episode of the Dudes and Dads podcast, we talk with our friends Justin and Trisha about marital restoration. You're listening to the Dudes and Dads podcast, a show dedicated to helping men be better dudes and dads by building community through meaningful conversation and storytelling. And now, here are your hosts, Joel DeMont and Andy Layman. Joel, welcome back. Andrew, hello. It's good to be there. How are you? I'm doing good. Second season. I mean, second episode of season five. Season five. Uh, Andy, have you had this experience? I've been thinking about season five a lot. And I've had this experience of like, that means that means four years ago. We started this thing. We started this thing. Man, it's so too long. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, do you have an idea what episode number we're at even right now? I mean, total, like 98, I think. Oh, we're getting close? We're getting close. We should do something for episode 100. We should. We should bring all of our guests back all at once. <laughs> That'd be great. Yes, all one episode. It. Let's do it. Jam them into there. Yeah. Uh, hey, everybody. Hi, welcome. Thanks for joining us on the Dudes and Dads Pop, Qu- Pop Quiz. Dudes podcast. And Dads. We're off to a great start. Dudes and Dads Podcast. Good to have each and every one of you, uh, every one of you with us here tonight. tonight. Mm-hmm. Yep. Didn't have enough coffee before I came over. Uh, Andy... Let's just start with uh, with the old kickoff of like uh, anything new going on in your life that uh, you uh, you're well there is. Andy's getting a new bathroom at his house, and we've been yeah without a bathroom all week. (laughs) Tell tell me, Andy, uh, we're talking about uh, restoring marriages here on this episode tonight, and I want to know how has your marriage done uh, during the loss of your uh, of your restroom? It's Uh, been good. I mean, we've been at my parents' house for a while, so yeah. Yeah, because yeah, your parents are elsewhere. Are so elsewhere, so it's so just us house, in the house, but yeah. In the house, but you're ready to come back. I'm ready to back. Well, ready. you know, and so we thank you for the good the good people. We haven't done a plug for whoever whoever's <laughs> fixing Andy's bathroom. Thank you. Yes, yes. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah. Uh, is this the part where you ask me how I'm doing? Andy? How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Threw me off today. And it's having, that's what I'm here for. Uh, I'm doing so well, Andy. Thank you for thank you for asking. Uh, let's see, good times, uh, good times ahead. We um, I don't even know what we've done recently as a family or what's going on. Obviously, we didn't talk about much last time, but I've started a new job. That's often yeah. often going well. Good deal. So you know, we're uh, we're having a good time. Yeah, it's that time of year though, Andy, where it's a, January's been weird. We've gotten very little snow, if any. It's forty degrees out during the day. I love it. Oh my gosh. But, and we got a little sunshine today, so that was nice yeah. too. Yeah. But other than that, it's January, which means if we haven't gotten snow, that means it's going to wait. It's going to wait till my, here's my prediction. I want, I want you to hear first weekend, first week or weekend in February, we get, I'm, I'll give us six to six to 12 inches. That's, that's my right, prediction. I'll hold right you now. to it. Joel's farm, official farmer <laughs> almanac. Right All right. There. Okay. Well, well, Joel, tonight, we have our friends Justin and Trisha with us. Uh, welcome to the show, guys. It's great to have you guys here. Oh, hi, guys. What's up, guys? It's good to be here. Oh, great. I'm excited to figure out how to be a dude and a dad. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> we'll tell you by the end, you'll know the whole thing. Yep. Yeah. It's a real, yeah. uh, there's there's a, a seance involved. It's, it's very <laughs> mystical. I'm not really sure you're ready for <laughs> But <laughs> just So Justin was my youth, youth minister for a very short amount of time growing up. I think maybe my... Junior, how long were you? I don't know how long I was with you. Uh, I got to Fox Valley in 1997. Okay, so a year because I graduated in 98. So, ooh, and I left. I left uh, in October of 98. Okay, so a very short amount of time. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Like any good, like any good youth pastor, <laughs> 18 months and I'm out. 
I hit the national average and then peace out. Yeah. Hey, like why, you know, listen, why overstay your welcome? You know, that's what I say. Let's just, it's crazy though, because, you know, not just with Andy and his family, but there were several families uh, at Fox Valley that, you know, we developed really deep relationships with even that short amount of time. And um, Trisha's meeting with Emily Wood. Oh, cool. Uh, who was in a group. Emily was in eighth grade at the time. She's meeting with her next week. And so like, there's just a lot of formative relationships. I think I was 25 and Trisha was 23 when we got there. So, yeah. uh, so barely older so yeah, than so, me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but so wise, so wise had many things to share with the young people. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. So yeah. Is there anything else special about them other than being your old, <laughs> your old youth pastor? Not that that's not a great thing on a resume. I, that alone I would, I could take you, about you're gonna put that you're gonna be like, Hey, Andy's yeah. next youth minister. Yeah. Well, yeah. or it's just like the constant question that we always want to ask is like, what, what was Andy like as a youngster? Cause uh, one can only imagine he's uh, I, what an interesting dude. Born, uh, you pastor oath. So we yep. cannot share those stories. Yep. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> But we wanted to bring you on tonight a little bit. You guys have a really cool ministry. Uh, you have a book out. Uh, you have a lot of cool stuff. So just start by telling us your story. Yeah. So uh, I lead an, a ministry called Refinus Ministries. We started it in 2012. And it's really just an overflow of our story and just a desire that we have to help um, people, you know, restore hope and renew relationships is kind of the mission of our uh, of our ministry. And, um, we travel and speak and do marriage conferences. Um, we, obviously we have a, a book, um, and really just with the heart of helping people kind of what, what we say is we go first so that other people feel comfortable going second. Mm-hmm. So their authenticity, vulnerability, um, just really being honest and, and pursuing life transformation are kind of the hallmarks of, of what we do. Great. That's kind of our ministry. Trisha can tell you a little bit about our family. Sure. Yeah. We- married forever <laughs> we've been married for 27 years it'll be 28 in july we say we got married when we were 12 um <laughs> but no i'm talking about when we met andy we were we i just found out we have a great story if you guys have time absolutely that, of the before gender reveal parties we we had our own version at fox valley of a gender reveal party <laughs> that did not go very well. Uh, but we were, I mean, we got married super young, had kids super young and dove headfirst into ministry. And we were in youth ministry for the first seven years of our marriage. And then we planted a church and we planted back in the day where church planning was still this little bit of a taboo word mm. in the church world. And, um, but God was so good to us. We started with 12 people and we always joke that, you know, Jesus had 12 friends and we had 12 friends that showed up and <laughs> they had sandals on and Jesus wore sandals. So like, it's gonna, it's gonna work. Um, but yeah, we had youth ministry and then we planted a church and it went gangbusters. And from the outside looking in, we were kind of the poster children of how to do ministry. By that time we had three boys and um, we had been married for 10 years and the average age of our church was around 27 and we had about 700 people coming. We had just raised a million dollars to purchase land, to build a building. It was like, if you were to look in at the Davises in 2003, you know, 2005, like everything was going up to the right. 
And I think part of what we realized looking back on that season, you know, we got married in 95 and now this is 2005. As Trish and I learned what it meant to be really good ministry partners and not necessarily really good marriage partners. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, so often um, when you're trying to serve God, you can prioritize serving God and doing things for God rather than developing character mm-hmm. um, with God. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a hallmark of uh, our, our relationship is we were gifted enough. But we didn't always have to develop our character. Mm-hmm. And so when giftedness outweighs character, implosion is always on the horizon. And so that was kind of um, really just the culture of our marriage relationship. We, you know, thought success was growing a, a, a church and serving God and, and doing things for God and really stopped investing in the most important rela- human relationship. And that was our, our marriage relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, I often... I often think about, um, I mean, these stories, unfortunately, as you're aware, are, they seem like they're more and more frequent here in the last, the last few years of, uh, you know, like, like you said, up into the right, uh, ministry, vocational experiences, everything from the outside looking, looking good. Um, what would you say if, if you could like thinking about the other stories that you guys know, cause I'm sure you've, I'm sure you guys have heard now, like in your own ministry, like like people are like, Oh, you guys too. Like, and then they, and then they share their story or they share the story of, of a pastor that they know or whatever the, the case might be. What would you say are the emerging themes? Like the, like the things that were leading to the ultimate, whether it's, you know, the straw that break the, you know, breaks the proverbial camel's back, but there's, there's always things that are leading up to that. Obviously, w- would you guys be able to identify just the, the general themes of what leads to, you obviously said there's the character, you know, the character issue, but then there's a lot of other things that come with that. Um, what are kind of the predictors? What are the, what are the emerging themes of, of a, uh, a path that is leading toward unhealth, if not outright destruction for people? Well, I mean, obviously, um, every, every story is different. Our, our story, you know, in 2005, we kind of had ignored a lot of wounds. Uh, we, we ignored a lot of uh, hidden sins and secrets and, and half truths. And, um, and that culminated in me coming home uh, in October of 2005 on that I was leaving her and I was having an affair with her best friend. And one of the things that we've learned that that time is, and one of the things that our counselor said to us early on, is that the affair was a symptom of much news. Mm. And I think, you know, for couples who maybe not don't struggle with infidelity, but I think there's a lot of couples have these outward things that um, appear to be the, the biggest problem. And they're really just more outward expressions of internal um, conditions. And so we, what, what, what we, thought we were going to do is we thought, well, we're just going to make the pain of infidelity go away and then we'll be fine. But thankfully we had a counselor that was so wise and so, um, so thorough that he said, Hey, I don't want to just help you figure out what happened. I want you to begin to understand why this happened so that you don't end up back here again. And so I, I'll let Trish kind of maybe share from her perspective, what she feels like some leading indicators are. But I think for me, um, the two things that I would say are 
um, wounds that are not addressed or not acknowledged. And those wounds then become patterns of behavior that are projected onto the people that you love the most. And so for me, that was sexual abuse that I was, I was sexually abused when I was a, a kid and I never got help for it. And so that created just a, uh, a dysfunction in me that had nothing to do with mm-hmm. Trish. It, you know, it, I could have married a hundred different people and that I would have brought that into every single, you know, every, whatever mm-hmm. that marriage was. So this wasn't about Trish not being a good enough wife. This was about brokenness that I had, I brought into our marriage. And then I had a pornography addiction um, that I denied and deflected and, you know, lied about and counseled people through their, their struggles and, and never was honest. Mm-hmm. And so hiding and that, that sense of shame, it just became a cycle in my life. And so no matter how much we would have invested in our marriage relationship, there was always a cap. There was always a lid on the amount of intimacy that we are capable of experiencing because I wasn't fully known by Trish. There was no way that I could be fully loved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, you know, to add to that indicators are often, I think there's the Imposter side, Brendan Manning talks about how we live through uh, the imposter. And I think when you are a pastor and you're in church ministry specifically, but I think that, you know, for your listeners, even, you know, regardless of what um, their vocation is, I think this is true for all of us that we get into the trappings of who we believe people think we are. And when we don't make, you know, meet that mark, then we begin to hide. Mm. And the first indicators is when you know that you are living a life of hiddenness. And like Justin said, when we live a life of hiddenness, then we don't allow ourselves to be fully known. And if you're not fully known, then you can't be fully loved. And I would say another marker that more personal to me is that if you don't, um, if you don't embrace and unpack your past, you will make your past, your present and into your future. And Justin and I, we were married for like a hot minute, like <laughs> maybe a year. And we found out that we were pregnant with our oldest son, Micah. We were in four months into marriage. Like we were just trying to figure everything out. Yeah. And now we were pregnant. So Micah came five days after our first year anniversary. Wow. So we are young. We are, you know, bringing in the G's, <laughs> a youth pastor. And, you know, like I'm a state you know, it, it was amazing. And, but a year into our marriage, my parents um, divorced. Mm-hmm. And in my world, like my parents, you know, I grew up a blue collar kid and we had a lot of issues, but like my parents were always there and together. Mm-hmm. And when they divorced, it wrapped me to my core. Mm-hmm. And so I became to treat Justin as if he was going to have an affair, if he was going, that he was going to step into the same role that my dad did. I began to almost be um, self prophesying Mm. that over him. And so I began withholding myself just because I was scared that he would wound me. And so you had this young couple with these young kids, several years later, and then we had three kids uh, doing ministry trying to deal with this imposter syndrome and trying to deal with trying to lead a church. And then all of this hiddenness, it's a miracle that we didn't implode sooner. Yeah. Honestly. So, so then in your story, you came home, you said, Hey, I'm, I'm having an affair. What was your, like, what was the, the next thing that happened there? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, it's been uh, 17 years, a little over 17 years since that day, but I, you know, I look back on it and I wish it was a confession of remorse and I wish it was a confession of repentance. It was just a confession of resignation. Mm. You know, I don't know if you have given to a relationship and you give and you give and you give and what you expect in return is reciprocated, at least in your mind. Mm-hmm. And what happens is this entitlement begins to live in your heart and that person can never repay you all that you think they owe. And that's where I was in my relationship with Trish. She wasn't going to be the wife I felt like I wanted. And so I was moving on. And um, obviously, you know, Trish was blindsided by this and just completely devastated. And so she left the house. And a few minutes later, an elder of our church called. Our church was three years old at the time. And he's just screaming at me on the phone. He's like, this has to be some kind of sick joke. Please tell me this is a joke. And all the elders came over to our house and, you know, they sat there for the next few hours, not trying to talk me out of the consequences of the, of my choices. Cause I wasn't going to be the pastor of the church anymore, but mm-hmm. just the choice itself to leave my wife and my three boys who were nine, six and three at the time. And I just couldn't hear it. I was just in a dark place and Trish didn't want me at the house anymore. So I went and checked into a hotel and a lady from our church called and said, if you have any hope at all of restoring your marriage, you're going to go to this counseling appointment that we've made for you tomorrow. And I just thought counseling, I don't go to counseling. I'm a pastor. I do counseling. Mm. And I'd never been to counseling before. 10 years into marriage and ministry, never, I had never gone to one counseling appointment. But thankfully, and by the grace of God, I defiantly went into this counseling session and sat down and just kind of shared, you know, kind of the highlight reel of the situation with this counselor. And she kind of interrupted me and she said, can I just ask you, what do you want to get out of this counseling session? And I said, if I'm just cutting through all the Christian crap. Here's, here's what I want you to help me figure out. I want you to help me figure out how God's going to bless my life, no matter who I choose. And she said something in that moment that really became the linchpin for the restoration that God was going to do in our marriage. She said, I can help broken people. I can't help hard hearted people. Mm. <laughs> and I never really experienced brokenness before. I became a Christian when I was 10 years old. I became a youth pastor when I was 19 years old. Um, I had been a pastor for 10 years at this point. And God began to break my heart. Trisha um, kicked me out of the house. She moved all of my stuff in with a family who had helped us start the church. And we were separated for two and a half months. We didn't talk for the next 10 days. And I started going to counseling by myself. And as I began to go to counseling and and really that isolation and dealing with and and having kind of a physical representation of seeing all the stuff that I, you know, all of my clothes um, in boxes Mm -hmm. and all of my shoes and crates just kind of stacked up in this, you know, little girl's bedroom that I was sleeping in. I was sleeping in like the seven-year-old girl's Mm -hmm. bedroom. And friends uh, of ours. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they had moved, they had moved her in with her sister and, that was my life, you know, and it just, it just broke me. It just, it was like the gravity of my choices just came crashing down on me. And, and so I wanted a second chance. I just didn't know if Trish was going to give me a second chance. And 10 days into our separation, she called me on my cell phone and just said, I hear you've been going to counseling. I said, yeah. She said, well, I'm willing to go with you. So that was really the kind of the, the door that opened that began really what became, what became a two year journey of healing. Um, we, 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 I moved back home two months later, but the, the complete healing process kind of took the better part of two years. Mm. And, and I think through couples that I have, I have counseled, I, I'm, I have, a, a, this is a while ago, one that's kind of in my mind right now where, um, 
so oftentimes, like I feel when couples uh, step into my office, they've already made the decision of what they're going to do um, in terms of like, it's, it's very, which when that's like the worst feeling as a, as a counselor too, like when you're, it's very clear that they have their hearts set on a, on a path for, for divorce specifically. And basically um, it, it feels like they're coming into your office just to appease whoever it was that sent them there or, you know, the family or whatever the case is to, so they can say, yeah, we tried, you know, yeah, we tried counseling. Um, how did you guys stay? Cause, cause there is such an immense amount of, of pain. I, I wonder, you know, Trisha, did you come into those, did you come into those early counseling meetings? What, what was your hope? Like, what was your hope? Did you come in with a, with a state of hopefulness or, or, what were you expecting that you was going to, was going to occur in the whole process? Uh, fight club, mm-hmm. like straight up. <laughs> club. No, I, it, it was so disorienting and it was interesting. Like looking back on it, it was like, I knew, but I didn't know. And, you know, like Justin said, you know, the affair gets all the attention, but the reality is that we began to drift in our marriage long before the affair. And so in that disorientation, there was this war raging in my heart that I had lived a bitter life towards Justin way before mm, the affair. Mm, interesting. How on earth am I going to push through now the ultimate fear has become a reality? And by God's grace, we were, man, there's a lot of counselors out there and not all of them are good. I know <laughs> that to be true. Yeah. But God gave us just the gift of a counselor who was gentle in spirit and strong in his words. Mm -hmm. And so the way that he led us to be a person of truth allowed us to be able to have the reality of where we were individually. And what I realized is that I had a forgiveness issue long before the affair. And so in those early days, it was super, like I was super protective but I knew that I didn't want to live like I had lived the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't stepping in bitterness for the first time. I was acknowledging that I had been living there for a long time. Yeah. And I, you know, I think bitterness gets a bad rap that we look at it as being malicious. But I think oftentimes we choose bitterness, one, because they don't, we don't know what else to choose, but bitterness feels safe. It's like the self-protective armor or this wall that we can build up that we think, man, if I'm just bitter, if I emotionally detach and just try to keep you at distance, which goes back to not being fully known mm-hmm. and therefore can't be fully loved, then you can't hurt me. But the problem is, is that bitterness always lends itself to resentment. And then resentment begins to bleed into other relationships. And so then you're doing the same thing over and over again. And like, if you have, you know, you know, dudes and dads that are married and you feel like you're having the same conversation, the same fight over and over again, but expecting different results, man, over time, that insanity catches up with you. Mm. And so it was a very slow process of understanding forgiveness, but there was a significant moment. You know, a lot of women ask me, how do you rebuild trust? And I, and I tell them forgiveness is free. We can unpack that more, but trust is earned. And so as we were, you know, displaying forgiveness and rebuilding trust, there is a difference between like, how do you rebuild that trust? And the Bible says that God's not given us a spirit of fear, Mm -hmm. but of sound mind. And so 
being able to discern the difference between what is Holy Spirit led, like something is up, something is not right. And that happened many times over our marriage relationship. And in those two months that we were separated and doing intense counseling, I knew that I knew that we had not hit rock bottom yet. Mm. Even though he had confessed the affair, it wasn't a posture of fear, but feeling like the Holy Spirit was saying, we're not done yet. Yeah. Awesome. Justin, I was just going to ask, and you, I'm sorry, I just wanted to ask, you can say what you're going to say, and then I maybe can follow up with this, is I was just wondering, did you have a concern that you were even capable of continuing, of being faithful, or, or like, was there ever in the back of your mind, that's what I wondered about so many times with with husbands that have that have been, heck, either partner, folks that have been unfaithful if they're trying to reconcile, but in the back of their mind is this lingering, like, will I do it again? Will, am, am I a cheater? Am I the kind of person that will continue to be unfaithful in one, in one way or the other? So that was just my kind of follow up question to you, but whatever else you want to share. No, that's good. Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, early on, and this is one of the gifts of Trisha called uh, focus on the family um, within probably 12 hours of everything coming out and their advice was to kick me out. Mm-hmm. And that was a gift because one, it, it broke, it was a part of the breaking process for me, but then also it gave uh, each of us an opportunity to go on a healing journey separately so that we weren't re, re- wounding each other, trying to live together. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but early on, you know, for the first probably 24 to 48 hours, I wasn't broken. And I was just trying to hedge my bets. I was trying to figure everything out. And, you know, is this a life that I want outside of my marriage? And I remember going to um, my parents' house and I brought, you know, I have, I had, uh, I have three siblings. Um, I have a younger sister um, who was on her second marriage. I have two younger brothers. Uh, one was divorced and getting ready to get remarried. The other was married to a divorced person. Um, and so I just felt like they're going to be my biggest cheering section because I want to be happy. Mm-hmm. And I go to my parents' house and everybody's gathered there and they, they just light into me. I mean, <laughs> just go off on me. And um, that was kind of the first wake up call of like, man, I, I have become someone that I don't want to be. And so Trish and I go through, um, we, we went to counseling four days a week and the only day that we didn't go was Friday cause they were closed. Mm-hmm. And so we talk all the time. If you think your marriage is in trouble, our counselor wanted to see us four days a week. That's how jacked up we were. <laughs> Just hang in there. But, um, those counseling sessions were intense and obviously you cover a lot of ground in those counseling sessions. Well, 30 days in, um, our counselor's like, man, trust is starting to be rebuilt. We were talking about a day that I was going to go, I was going to move back home. We had circled day on the calendar and we get into this counseling session. The counselor's like, Hey, if there's anything that you've left out, now's the time to share it. And then he said something that I've carried with me the rest of the, since, since that day, he said, unconfessed sin always leads to repeated behavior. And that just, I mean, it just rocked me and it goes to your question of do, was I scared that I was going to do it again? And it was the first time I thought, oh my gosh, this could be my life. Like mm-hmm. I could, I, I, I could be 
an unfaithful person for the rest of my life because I, I knew that there were things that I had not shared. Mm-hmm. And so um, he said, I want you to go home, come back. And you know, tomorrow you're going to, you're going to confess anything that you've left out. And I came back and, and confessed, you know, more and, and Trish left the counseling session and uh, left me there. Uh, we had come together. We didn't leave together. And uh, it was before Uber. So I had to find a ride. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, a lady from our church called that night and said, Trisha's going to file for divorce on Monday. This was on a Thursday because you're incapable of telling the truth. And so I, my mom comes over to our, the town that we live in. We live about 45 minutes from my parents. And so my mom comes over and she goes to grandparents day and I go to the school to, to meet my mom. And I beg my mom to go to the house and ask Trish to give me another chance. And my mom just said, I'm not going to enable you to manipulate your wife anymore. And it was was like a culmination of events, right? There there was just like certain things that were just kind of, it was like the snowball effect of God just saying, Hey, I'm going to get to the heart Mm -hmm. of why you always take short shortcuts, why you cheated on tests in high school, why you had other people write your papers in college, why why you always, why why you stole John Ortberg messages (laughs) and took them as your own. Like, like there was this, it wasn't just the affair, Mm -hmm. right? It was, it was all these little shortcuts my entire life that I was, I was, that had kind of now culminated in this. And I didn't want to be that person anymore. And so I went to take the kids to school uh, the next day and Trisha invited me into the house and she said, this is your last chance. I want to know everything. And I just said, you know, as far as the affair goes, I've told you everything. Um, and that's when I confessed, you know, being sexually abused and I, I confessed the pornography. And I just said to her, I said, if, if you want everything, you can, have, you can have everything. This isn't about us anymore. This is about me finally being a person of truth, finally living in a right relationship with God. And in an act of grace and mercy, like anything I'd ever experienced, I said, now I can start over. Now we can begin again because I finally know the real you. Mm. And that wasn't, I mean, I wish that was the finish line. It would have been a lot easier. Um, but that was really the mm. starting line what became a very painful process. And I think so often what happened is at least I've seen this in a lot of couples, they want pain avoidance is the goal, not complete healing, Mm -hmm. right? And forgiveness of sin is immediate, but healing from sin, it takes time. Yeah. And so we our our focus becomes how can I not hurt so much? Not necessarily how can I experience redemptive pain? And, and so rather than pursue redemptive pain and allow the pain that to allow that pain to have a purpose, we try to make the pain go away and we shortcut the healing process. And that's why people repeat the the same things over and over again. And, and, um, and I've heard it. I mean, I've had people walk out of marriage conferences because their, you know, their philosophy is once a cheater, always a cheater. And, you know, so I, I, I understand that perspective. You know, there's maybe some listeners who have been burned by believing the spouse was going to be faithful again, and they weren't. And so I totally, I totally empathize with that. But I do think that, you know, um, God says a broken, you know, David says to God, a broken and contrite heart, you won't despise. And, and so that's really the, 
that brokenness is really the key to breaking that cycle of, um, uh, of compromise. Yeah. So you said that this didn't start with just the affair, you know, it started from way back when you guys first got married and your relationship slipped without even knowing it. What are some steps that you guys take now to keep from having that happen again? Either, either one of you uh, can answer. We're yeah. No, yeah, that's good. I think we're completely different people. And I think that's the exciting part mm-hmm. is this wasn't about um, behavior modification. It was about heart transformation. Sure. And in our own personal journeys as a daughter and son of Christ, like uh, we are of God. We, we are different people because Justin chose to be a truth teller. And so for the first time, he was getting to experience what it meant to be fully known and fully loved, not only by me, but by God. Mm. Like he wasn't hiding from God anymore. Mm. For me, I lived with just the exhaustion of bitterness. And now I, I was beginning to understand that, you know, forgiveness resurrects what bitterness tries to destroy. And that, you know, forgiveness doesn't excuse the behavior. It just prevents that behavior from who God's called you to be. And so there's a, a, a reaping of, of a newness, like a new beginning. The old truly was gone and the new had come. And so the marriage in the first 10 years we had, it had to die mm-hmm. because we weren't those people anymore. So we just continue to live with hope. And man, over the past year in 2021, I mean, everybody had 2020, right? right. It, we just <laughs> asterisk. Um, everybody has their <laughs> stories. And when we thought our story couldn't get any crazier, it just continued to get crazy. And over the past year, Justin and I, as we began to be people of truth, a uh, couple years into our restoration journey, that kind of became a mantra for our kids and for you know our parents as we began talking about that, because they began to see us transform, yeah. like living freedom that rather than it thumbing them down, it made them feel like, man, I, I want to live in freedom. And so four years into our restoration, Justin's mom's like, I need to be a person of truth. And she sat Justin down and she began to tell Justin that um, she met the father that has been in his life up to this point when he, when she was eight months pregnant with him mm-hmm. and that his dad that he has always known is not his biological dad. And so it was, it was another turning point. And this time, Justin was experiencing the devastation of somebody else's choices. Mm, yeah. yep. and it began to change. Like it was an opportunity that he was either going to choose bitterness or he was going to choose transformation in the process of forgiveness. And so that's, that's the beauty of it. It's when the Bible talks about how God makes beauty from ashes. When you think about that, like to pick up ashes in our human hands, we can't, we cannot do anything with it. Through God's grace and mercy, this transformation that happens, it, it's, it's so beautiful. People say all the time, I think to your question, like, we'll just do it again. I mean, that's a risk for all of us, right? Because right. we're broken, messed up people. But I think when you experience, it's that, that passage that uh, tastes and see how the Lord is good. Mm-hmm. It's like 
when you experience living not by the rules of God, but in a right relationship with God, it's so attractive that you don't want to live outside of it. And not because you don't want to disappoint anybody, because the power of being fully known and fully loved so radically when you are just such a messed up person, um, it, it changed us that when Justin was hit with that news of like, your dad isn't your dad, it prepared him to be able to move through that, that drew him closer to God rather than making him run in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think of uh, the, uh, in some of the wedding ceremonies that I've done, I've used, there's a, at the beginning of the wedding ceremony within the book of common prayer, it, 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 there's this prayer that says, you know, and, you're t- and it's in the context of, of two people coming together and being married. And it says, and just the prayer is, you know, thank you, Lord, that you've made the way of the cross, the way of life for, for, for us. And it, which I always thought was like initially very odd to be talking about like the way of the cross when talking about marriage, right? Like that you're entering into suffer, entering into suffering, uh, but suffering with a redemptive purpose. And uh, yeah. th- that's kind of what I've heard. Like it, you guys saw, you guys saw purpose in the suffering, which I, which I think is the key uh, tell me what you think. I think this is the key when you, when you're suffering and it's hard and it's painful and it just feels like, my gosh, could it get any worse? Could I feel any more gutted by the things that are going on? But that you are able to have this idea that redemption is possible and that there is something on the other side of this better than where, where you started. You are willing to go through, like you'll go through that. You'll do it. It's when people have a sense of hopelessness, which you guys also, I'm sure, like clearly felt mm. like you, you, that, that's the miracle. Like in the midst of hopelessness, like just this like slight glimmer that something could be better, just something could be better. Um, which I, I would just say to anybody who's going through any relationship thing, any small thing that you can hold on to, any piece of hope that you can hold on to, to get you to the next counseling appointment, to get you to the next conversation mm. of truth, like, like, don't man take take it <laughs> you know like yeah, like like yeah. really really take it and then and that goes beyond infidelity that goes beyond that goes to any hard thing that comes yeah. into your life as a, as a believer um hold on to any piece that you can to get you to the next thing to get you to the next thing because eventually like it sounds to me like guys it was just a it was a walk of of several small steps in succession toward toward a direction that probably was more zigzaggy uh, at times than and clearly, clearly not a, a straighten up into the right. Um, did, what was the point? Cause you guys had kind of mentioned it. Like you started to feel though, like in the process, you started to feel like a momentum toward, towards something better. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it's fair to say. I mean, uh, one of the quotes that came to mind when you were talking about the wedding ceremony, is I think it's Diedrich Bonhoeffer that said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Mm. You know, yeah. I think um, so often we want the life of Christ without experiencing the death of mm. Christ, you yeah. know, and, and yeah. so, um, you know, that daily crucifixion and uh, that's kind of in a culture that celebrates success, you know, name a person in scripture that did anything significant for God that didn't experience loss, pain, mm-hmm. confusion, you know, disappointment, uh, name one person in scripture other than Jesus that wasn't just completely broken and totally jacked. And I mean, just read the old Testament. It's like, man, and, um, you know, these people were messed up, but yet God still used them in incredible ways. And that's the power of redemption and the, and the hope of restoration. 
it was, um, it, it, I'll, I'll never forget a conversation I had. So, um, as a church planter, you know, when we started the church, uh, we were supported by a denomination, a small denomination out of Fort Wayne, Indiana called the missionary church. And part of the requirement that the missionary church had is I had to have a church planning coach and I had to have an accountability partner. And so I had this church planning coach that I became really close. We were really close and, and he was a huge help and he's just, he's wired completely different than, than I am. And um, I met with him every Wednesday, you know, and, and his, his job was not just to coach me, but also to check in on me. How are you doing? How's your heart? How's your marriage? And fine, 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 fine. Well, when everything hit the fan, obviously he felt responsible. Um, but when um, Trisha and I, um, when we were separated, I went over to his house and I told him, uh, I said, Hey, I said, you know, I just told Trisha about that. I, you know, I said, I need to tell Trisha something. And he's like, well, what are you going to tell her? And I said, I need to tell her about the pornography and I need to tell her about the sexual abuse. And I told him what the counselor said that I, I had to, I, you know, I got to go back and have this conversation. And he's like, man, I am so excited. Mm. <laughs> I, said, excited. I said, are you crazy? And he's like, he's like, this is going to be the first time that you've actually experienced, you're going to experience the fullness of God's grace. Wow. Yeah. You, you've never had a chance really to experience the fullness of God's grace because you've never really been fully honest. Mm. And I just thought he was crazy. I just thought that was the, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And, and he was right. Like there was, there was, it was obviously so painful and so devastating. But I had never experienced grace in that, in that way. And I think that gave me hope that being a person of truth, being fully known is the only way that I wanted to do our marriage. And it's come with, you know, it obviously came with, with great cost, but the marriage that we have now would not have been possible had either of us not chosen to be fully known and, and fully loved. And so I think the momentum that we, we found was through just gut-wrenching hard conversations that became redemptive conversations. And then there, there became like a, almost like a craving for knowing each other deeper mm -hmm. and having conversations about things that weren't this, the business of marriage, but just the heart of our marriage. And, mm -hmm. and I wanted to know her heart I wanted to know her insecurities and I wanted to share those in my insecurities with her and, and, because I knew that she, she's loved me in my ugliest form. That that's, that's the momentum that I think can sustain a marriage for the long term. And so I don't think it was necessarily, you know, um, planned out or it was more like, man, we just fell on our face and we're completely devastated, but we're in this together and that's going to give us the momentum. And, and I think that was the turn, you know, Trisha could have said, Hey, why don't you go get fixed? You go heal from your porn addiction. When you're better, then come back and we'll work on us. Mm -hmm. He chose to go through the process with me and that made all the difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's, I mean, marriage is a team sport and yeah. <laughs> to be able to go in, you know, so many times I think people are like, well, 50% me, 50% you, that'll give a hundred percent effort. And it's, it's really a wholehearted, <laughs> it's a wholehearted yeah. thing from both, from both people. And, and that's the, uh, that's the, man, that's the trick of it. 
And uh, it just seems that if you can get to that place, if, if you both know that you're both fully present um, in, in the effort, um, yeah, that, that's a huge, that's a huge deal. I mean, most functional marriages, you know, most functional marriages are not a hundred percent, hundred percent. And I mean, that's, that's the, the truth of it. Like there's people that are married for a very, very long time and often don't realize that they've been, um, I think Trisha, you got at this somewhat, like they've been withholding something of them of themselves for a long period of time that begins to feel normal, but then you can't figure out why their marriage isn't what they want it to be. Mm. Cause they're like, we're living a normal life here. We're, you right. know, um, you know, Jack, well, not, yeah, go uh, ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying, not to do a, uh, a plug for uh product placement or anything like that, but that's why our book's called beyond ordinary and it's subtitled when a good marriage just isn't good enough. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. Because we didn't get married just to have a, an average marriage. We got married thinking our marriage is going to be different. Our marriage is going to be amazing. We're, we're so in love. And then over the course of time, you, you fall into patterns that, make your marriage mediocre and, and ordinary. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that Trish and I had a horrible marriage, uh, the first 10 years of our marriage, it was just mediocre. It was, it just was, it was good enough to pass the eye test, but not good enough to actually go deeper. And so we just stayed at a, at a very surface level, even though we shared three kids and Mm -hmm. we both loved God and we both, you know, we, we had dreams and aspirations for our marriage, but never the, the depth of intimacy to see those, mm. those dreams or aspirations come to fruition. Yeah. Well, and if, again, if like for any of us spiritually, if our relationship isn't deepening with God, then to even imagine a deepening relationship with, with a spouse or with friends or whoever, I mean, that seems like to the you moon, you know, yeah. yeah, to the moon and yeah. back. It's like, it's like good old, uh, since we're quoting all kinds of wise people on the show uh, tonight. Well, you know, Lewis, uh, Lewis says, you know, like the problem with Christians is that we far, we settle for far too little. Like, you know, it's this whole, you know, we could be had a, we could be on holiday, uh, you know, holiday at sea instead we're making mud pies and thinking that's like a, like a good time, you know, and boy, yeah. ain't that the, ain't that the truth. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's definitely not, it's, it's not selfish for us to desire more from a relationship that God has gifted us with for very intentional purposes. I've, I've said it many times to couples like God wants to use your relationship to bear witness to who he is in the world. Like, think about that. Like, like that you have this missionary partnership of demonstrating what it, what it means. I mean, obviously, you know, there's all kinds of parallels. Like when it talks about marriage and like the very nature of what the gospel is like, that seems pretty, pretty strong language, you know, about that, that relationship. And so, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I love, I love your guys' story. I really do. And I, I'm so grateful for what you're doing, especially knowing that there are so many, we could start just by in the church alone. And you guys have seen this plenty of times. There are just so many marriages that are just sort of functionally going along and, and people have, have convinced themselves at one but way yeah, or another. Um, Lord knows Andy and I at various points in our, in our marriages too, where you kind of like wake up one day, you're like, this is like, it's not bad but it's not awesome right now. And like, why is it not awesome right now? And it's like, well, because we just sort of phoned it in or we just, you know, we just thought that by, you know, I don't know that I, I know I've, when my own relationship so many times, it's just kind of like, well, it's this autopilot thing that we think God will just sustain if we just kind of keep it there. Right. And, uh, that, I don't know, that might be, that might be the very, the very kind of dangerous, <laughs> the dangerous mindset and dangerous activity that leads to, leads to unhealthy, you know, to unhealthy places. Um, 
I, I, I do wonder if you guys have had, t- tell us about, and I, I would just be curious, like in your ministry experience, um, as you've had undoubtedly all these kind of conversations, are there a lot of marriages that go on, that go on for a long period of time with no issue whatsoever? And then like, it's like later in marriage. I feel like sometimes I'll just be honest, like I'm surprised sometimes it's like, Oh, the, mar- the marriage got rocky early. And like there was some infidelity or whatever the case might be early. It's like, Oh, okay. That, I guess that kind of made more sense to me, but it's like the couple that's been married 15, 20 years kind of going and then along something and happens. then something, and then something happens. Um, uh, that's always the, the curious thing to me. Like, like it's like, would it take that long or was there just, was it a slower, was it a slower fade or, um, I just, I wonder if you guys have any observations about the kind of early unhealth versus late, late onset health, bad health or, or how that kind of plays itself out. Cause I, I think it's easy for someone to be listening going, Oh, okay. Yeah. Young, young couple they're you know, they, they get married. They're so eager and naive about the way the world really works and they just kind of go at life and then, Oh, boom, there it is all, you know, they've, they all kind of catapults them into unhealth. But that's not always the way it goes for everybody. So I, I wonder, I wonder what kind of uh, what you've seen, what you've noticed, uh, kind of in terms of timelines for people. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely multifaceted. I think it's generational. If you talk to the boomer generation, you know, they didn't talk about this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and their parents just stayed married, and so they did what they saw modeled, and now they're you know living in multiple generations where divorce is more common and it's not taboo. And the, you know, the church is very much the same as culture. And so that hasn't been discovered, you know, for many decades for them into marriage. I think for, um, you know, my generation and even millennials, there's been a little bit of a you know, rage against the marriage machine. Like we're going to make it work because we're not going to be like, my parents and what they put me through and having to stay at one parent one weekend and the other. And so it's just like, we're going to make this happen. We're going to muster through. And then I think there's just a lack of, you know, Justin and I, we have shared our story all over the country, different age groups, different denominations. And we asked this question, you know, how many of you had a clear biblical understanding of sexual intimacy before you got married? And I mean, over 12 years, I could count on two hands how many people wow. raised their hands. Oh, yeah, wow. absolutely. Yeah. Yep. yep. So if you're my generation, we grew up in the purity movement. So mm-hmm. it was like purity. And then you got married and you're like, ah, you know, like <laughs> you were never um, given a beautiful picture. And so oftentimes what happens is we spend a decade or two just trying to figure it out on our own. And when we can't figure it out, it's in the absence that you said in the very beginning, we begin to feel hopeless mm-hmm. and either the grass looks greener on the other side or we're just tired and yeah. we don't have it best to fight. I, I think, you know, in addition to that, one of the things that Trish and I have heard from so many couples is the first few years of marriage, you think I can change you, right? <laughs> oh, like, right. I, yeah. I make you into the spouse that I want you to be or that I think you should be. And then when you realize that you can't change your spouse, what, what a lot of couples do is they move on to milestones and achievements. So I, I don't like that, you know, she's not punctual. I don't like that he puts the underwear next to the hamper and, and not in the hamper. Like, so there's, there's these idiosyncrasies that, that just kind of wear on us. 
but we're going to put all of our emphasis in now into achieving something in marriage. And so we're going to get the new house. We're going to get the new car. Or we're going to have the kids. We're going to get that promotion. And so you build this life thinking that these milestones and achievements are going to bring you the intimacy that you deeply desire. And so you get 12 years into marriage, 15 years into marriage, and you have the cars, you have the house, you have the title, you have the three kids, but you don't have the intimacy that you thought it was going to bring. And so there's a disillusionment of this is as good as it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh, I did not sign up for this. And so you have so many couples, God loving, church going, song singing, you know, nursery working couples that um, they live in the same house. They're just not sharing life with each other. Right. Yeah. And so at some point, and I think I've, I don't, I don't know what you guys have seen, but I've seen an, a, an acceleration of this through COVID. What COVID did is COVID put us all in the same house together and people are looking at their spouse going, I'm not spending the rest of my life with you. Mm -hmm. Like I'm like, no. And so there, I feel like there's been an acceleration of couples going, you know what? I'm just, I mean, there's, there's a term, there's a psychological term now that we have called a starter marriage. Mm. And so you get married and it's not working out. Well, that was just your starter marriage. Just like that was your starter home. Just like that was your first car and it's okay. You can get another one. And, um, and I think that that's, you know, that's kind of the state of a lot of, a lot of marriages right now. Yeah. Well guys, we, we, I want to, before we, we, well, before we go, go, we're going to give you the pop quiz with you, but I want to give you a chance to plug, uh, your, your ministry, your book, whatever else you want to plug. So yeah, where can we, where where can can people people find find you? you? Yeah. Self-promotion. She loves plugging. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Go. We're still working on things in our marriage. (laughs) Them. She actually does not like. But I will say I, I am passionate about what we yeah. do because we had a couple that came to our house a uh, couple of weeks after everything had hit the fan and nobody knew their story and they were in ministry and they sat in our living room and shared their story and it, it changed our life. Mm-hmm. And so really that's our passion is to create resources where people feel like they are sitting across the table from us drinking a cup of coffee talking about hard things and so we have our um, website which is refinus.org and we do uh, master classes uh, every month where we just we this year so far in 2023 we've talked about finances just super fun Justin and I did a full <laughs> night on um, live master class <laughs> just um, we're talking about sexual intimacy mm-hmm. we're coming alongside to help people have conversations that Again, it's not about having an extraordinary marriage by living this extraordinary life. It's choosing to do extraordinary intentional things in the ordinary mundane parts of Mm -hmm. life. So we have tons of resources on there that they can check out. We do marriage coaching um, where we just, what we love about coaching is we say we have a lot of couples that are still doing counseling and we love counseling. We're both in counseling. We say that your counselors help you figure out um, how to you know, unpack and work through. And Justin and I are passionate in our coaching to come alongside in that, in that process. So those are probably our two main, and Justin probably is like, you didn't say this, but you know, (laughs) that's what happens when you give it the mic to me in this area. I already plugged the book. So I'm going to go back there. Great. Well, guys, 
Before we go, we're going to do the pop quiz. Now it's time for Dudes and Dads Pop Quiz. All right, Aaron James. Thank you. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's Joel's That's Joel's my son. eldest. That's my eldest son. I'm, nice. yeah, we've got a, we, he's my first teenager that we're, we're, uh, we're working on. So we'll, well, we'll see. We'll see how it all goes. <laughs> so if you guys have never joined us, we do a pop quiz and we just ask Justin and Trisha like random things that they can't prepare for. Yeah. And so Joel, why don't you start off? Excellent. So well, how do you want to do this? Do you want to have them both ask answer yes, the same bo- question? Bo- both answers. So okay. we'll, well, you ask three questions. I'll ask three questions. They can both answer. All right, we'll do good. that. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. So let's see if you guys uh, were to, and maybe the, I'm going to guess that the answer is not the same. So you, you're each able to uh, answer individually. If you were able to live anywhere in the world for a year to go and live there for a year, where would it be? Oh my gosh. You're going to, you're going to say Greece. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I love, I love her answer was what you were going to say. That's great. I mean, mine would be anywhere. There's a beach. Nice. That's about three fourths of the world. (laughs) A warm beach. That kind of. A warm uh, beach. Okay. For a year. Thailand. Ooh. Oh, you, right. oh, he just did that to prove you wrong. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You're right. Okay. All right. Uh, what is something you like that most people don't like? Ooh. Hot sauce on everything. Pizza, salad, eggs. Whoa. I like that most people don't like. People like hot sauce, just not how <laughs> I use it. I don't, I don't know that I, I don't even know that I don't know what I would like that other people don't. <laughs> um, I'm kind of like a, yeah. Um, I'm gonna say, oh, I don't, nah, I don't, I don't know. Question: The Colts. Okay. You know, my my my, sec- my second son likes the Colts. Oh wow! Oh, that's amazing. Uh, guys, are there any uh, animals that you are specifically terrified of? Ooh. Mice. Mice. <laughs> okay. We live on some acreage, and Justin may have set. She told. Hey, she told me she's like, you gotta get rid of these mice. So I went and got mouse traps. I thought they were like gray and ugly, and we got one, and it was the cutest little mouse I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta deal, you gotta deal with it. I can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> but mice is a rodent. Is that an animal? It is a rodent. It's. A, I, I count that as an animal. Yeah. Okay. That's a, right. Sure. Okay. All right. If there was a sandwich named after you, what would be on it? Oh, there we go. I got another food question too after this. So this is good. We're really diving into the food stuff. After you, what would be on it? I'm going to say a lot of bologna. (laughs) 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 The triple decker bologna sandwich. So much much bologna. (laughs) Mine would be like. Chorizo. Yeah, anything the the pepper upon pepper upon pepper sandwich. You're all so. about the spicy. That's that's I, do, I love spicy. That's, I love spice. If you're not sweating, it's not yeah, worth why, it. Yeah, why 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 are you wasting your time? That's interesting. Okay, my uh, let's see here. My question is, uh, okay, what's the weirdest thing that each of you have ever eaten? Like just to have tried or whatever. Like, is there anything that's uh, <laughs> How, 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 uh, G rated is it? No, no, this is, this is, this is, you go all, go all in, go all in. I tried an ox ball when I was in, uh, (laughs) nice. Nice. Yeah. That's totally, 
that's a delicacy. I don't see why people are so, so, so uptight well, about it. Well, I didn't know it at the time. I was just eating. I'm like, what is this? Oh, like, you ate it oh. unknowingly. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, even, that's even better. That's amazing. Yeah. Elijah, my son, loved that. He was, he was. First thing he said when they got off the plane from Africa, dad and I ate ox balls. So yeah. That's, that's a total. We tried to have life change. We tried to invest, you yep. know, the gospel into people's hearts, but yep. that was the one we took away. Well, oh, that's, that's a boy for you. There you go. <laughs> Trisha, what about yeah. you? Weird, weirdest thing? Uh, bone marrow. Ooh. Ooh. I know. It was at the swanky restaurant. I didn't yeah. really know what I was doing. And it was delicious. It is. <laughs> it is absolutely delicious. Oh disgusted by it and i was like now do they serve it to you is like the bone like cut in half and then yeah yeah, right okay gotcha and was like don't do it they broiled it yeah but wait wait he's telling you don't do that when he just had yeah he's i mean zero room (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) last question uh what are you most excited about right now oh wow well um I am most excited right now. Um, I turned in uh, my second book um, about, about a month ago. Okay. And so it's in the editing process. So I'm excited just to kind of see that through to completion and see how it's supposed to be released in October. Um, and so I'm excited. I'm excited about that. Um, I'm excited. I went back to college. Ooh. So my traditional year to graduate was in 1997. <laughs> <laughs> Slight delay. Yeah. So, yeah, so I went back and I went in as like a second semester junior. So I will graduate with my bachelor's in human services uh, with a certification in life coaching in 20 in November of 2024. Excellent. Awesome. Yeah. Excellent. Good for uh, you, yeah. Trisha. That's awesome. That <laughs> okay, the goal is so is awesome. And the clock is ticking. <laughs> I mean, I know can't tell, but it, it's happening. <laughs> guys, we want to thank you for being on the show tonight. We really appreciate oh, you guys so and good, your story. Yeah. Well, uh, this episode will release next Tuesday. Not not this coming Tuesday, but the following Tuesday. The following. And we'll make it, we'll, you know, put all of your details on there. We will we make you, you embar- yeah. embarrassingly easy to find as on the interwebs. As our friend Annie F. Downs. Yes, as she says, <laughs> embarrassingly easy to find. Uh, always so grateful for folks like you coming on. And uh, for all of you listeners, uh, as always, you can hit us up with a delightful email with your your thoughts, your reflections at yeah. dudesanddadspodcast at gmail.com or you can head over to dudesanddadspodcast.com for all the show notes and all that goody stuff. Andy, is there anything else they can do? Uh, they could go to our Instagram page. They could go. Guys, like, share, and YouTube. And YouTube. Good. All the things. Subscribe on YouTube. Please do the subscription thing. Yeah. It helps us out. helps people find it. So, uh, guys, we're grateful for the uh, your listening and we're grateful for your responses. And until next time, we wish you grace and peace. 